God creates, sin destroys, humanity hopeless. But God has a plan. And God's plan comes through a man named Abraham. Well, Abraham, close to the rhyme. God gives Abraham promises. And those promises are then given to Abraham's son Isaac and then to Jacob. And the story this evening is on Jacob. Now, we're not going to get into all of the details of Isaac's camp with Jacob and Esau. Uh, but needless to say, there was at one point when Jacob was a young man, he had to flee camp. He was sent to his mother's home far away. And uh, he was sent to his mother's home uh, to look for a wife and also to save his life because his brother Esau wanted to kill him. Well, on this trip, uh, he uh, one night uh, took a, a stone for a pillow and God gave him a dream and uh, angels going up and down a stairway and God spoke to Jacob and he said, Jacob, essentially this promise to Abraham, this promise to Jacob, I am now promising you, from you will come a people, will come a nation, your people are going to live in this land. The land of Canaan is the promised land. Jacob received this. Jacob proceeded on with his travels to his uh, mother's homeland. Uh, he was penniless, destitute, in great need. But over the years, God provided for him and uh, blessed him with, with wives, with many children, his sons, obviously, to become the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, he was extremely wealthy as, all, as well. Uh, but through all of this, he remembered God's promise, and he knew he had to go back to the land. And so he did. On his way back, he uh, nervously meets with Esau, uh, but Esau's heart was changed, and was, uh, uh, he had forgiven Jacob. And uh, now we come to Genesis 35, where Jacob has returned from the north, and uh, he is returning with his own clan and traveling through the land of Canaan, this promised land. Now, since this is a story, um, I have included pictures that go along with different parts of the story. So uh, you can sit and listen to the story. If you'd like to follow along in the Bible, this is, this is fine. Um, but as I read the scripture passage, um, I will have... Um, there we go, pictures on the screen. This is a picture of the area of Shechem, obviously an artistic uh, rendition. Uh, I'm showing you this so that you just get a sense of, in the Bible when it says the mountains of Samaria, this is kind of what it's looking like. Big hills, rocky, rugged terrain, but don't think the Rockies. Okay? Um, the next uh, picture is where Shechem is located in the Promised Land. And uh, in this story, Genesis 35, uh, Jacob and his family is traveling from Shechem, or the top red circle, uh, down to the city of Bethel, on the, uh, the lower or southern circle. The word of the Lord. Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God. 
who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you, and purify yourselves, and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears. And Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. This is just an oak tree in Israel, not the oak at Shechem. Okay. Uh, then they set out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, El Bethel, because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and was buried under the oak outside Bethel, so it was named Alan Bakuth. After Jacob returned from Paddan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you, and I give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him, and he poured out a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked to him, Bethel. In this passage, I would like us to think about worship, but this will not be, maybe not your stereotypical sermon on worship. Uh, Sure, it could apply to worship in, in this place, but I want us to think broader than just this sanctuary here, but think about how we live life as well. Uh, This passage talks about possessions and worship. So, uh, for instance, verse 2, so Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you, purify yourselves, and interestingly, and change your clothes. Not exactly sure what's going on there, but this is what they were supposed to do. Uh, maybe, well, I changed my clothes before I came here tonight. That was good, yes. Verse 4, so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears. Interesting, earrings, okay. And Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. So it was very common in the culture at that time that people would have little statues, little idols that represented gods, and they would carry these with them for for good luck. Um, It also appears that jewelry 
could be associated with idol worship as well. Now, obviously, this passage is not condemning jewelry, okay? And all the women, ah, amen. Uh, however, back then, there was something going on with, with jewelry and idol worship. And so, okay, ladies, Jacob says, hand in your earrings. In uh, Hosea chapter 2, it says, she burned incense to the bales. She decked herself with rings and jewelry. We have a verse that uh, associates back then there was something going on with certain types of jewelry and idol worship. Uh, so in terms of worship, in this passage, the people had to be sensitive about what they possessed, and it had to do with purifying themselves as they went to worship God. Uh, next, we have worship and place and symbol associated with worship. Uh, verse 3, then come, let us go to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress. There he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, uh, because it was there that God revealed himself when he was fleeing from his brother. It was there at Bethel, where he had the dream, where he slept on the rock, and God met with him and spoke to him and gave him promises, a special place that he was called to go back to. And then symbol, verse 14. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him. So Jacob is called to go to a certain place. He worships God at that place, and then he sets up this stone pillar to mark it. So that if he ever was to pass by that place again, or his descendant, this is where God met with Jacob. The stone pillar was the symbol. And then uh, third in this passage, or something I'd like to get out of this passage when it comes to worship, is the name of God. The name of God. Uh, Verse 5, then they set out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Uh, God Almighty protected them. Verse 11, and God said to him, I am God Almighty. This is my name, God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. And 15, God called the place where, or Jacob called the place where God had talked with him, Bethel. When we think about the name of God, and, and particularly verse 11, uh, in Genesis 17, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord, appeared to Abraham and said, I am God Almighty. God communicates his character, who he is, through his name. And uh, this name is uh, one that you've heard of. Many of you have heard of it. This is the name El Shaddai. El Shaddai is God Almighty, God the Powerful One. This is my name. And Jacob is called to honor the name of the Lord. So we have uh, walked through this story. I have read through the story. 
Uh, we've uh, looked at how Jacob was called to worship God um, in the story. And uh, now uh, I'd like to uh, just take a few moments and offer some reflections on how this might affect our lives and uh, what we can get from this story. Now, to set the stage for these reflections, um, a little interesting story to tell you. Uh, fortunately, uh, my wife likes to be outdoors and likes to hike. So when I say, honey, oh, let's go explore this area and see the trees, uh, fortunately, she's a good sport, and she, she rather enjoys this. Um, however, there's some times where she says, okay, let's do something different. And I say, you're right, let's do it. So a couple years ago, we, we took a little two-night anniversary trip downtown. It was a shopping trip. Oh, just thrilled me immensely. Okay, it was a shopping trip. Um, but you know, it was, you know what, really, it was fine. Uh, I was gonna, we were gonna spend time together and uh, this, was a, this was a nice thing, okay? So, uh, I, I still remember uh, we were staying on, on State Street, Palmer House, and uh, after breakfast, we stepped out onto State Street and there was this store called Forever 21. Does anybody, has anybody heard of Forever 21? Yes, some of you have, okay. Now, I don't think forever, this wasn't the flagship store, but it, it could have been. I mean, we're talking three floors huge of girls' and women's clothing. I mean, there might have been some men's clothing, but I didn't see it. <laughs> so we walk into the store, and it's the beginning. Of the, I'm fine. No problem. I'm with my wife. So we're at the store, and uh, we're walking around, and I'm like, okay, I'm just following. And believe it or not, <laughs> it occurred to me that I had not done my daily Bible reading yet. And so I thought, I will do my, my daily Bible reading in Forever 21. And so I happened to have with me a little electronic device with a, with a Bible on it. I pulled it out. And my Bible reading for that day, okay, Bible plan. Do you have a Bible plan? Yes, hopefully you do. It's, it's a good thing. Okay, now back. Okay, so my Bible reading for that day was Genesis 35, this, this chapter. And so I'm reading, I'm having my daily devotions in Forever 21. Okay, so I'm reading the Bible, and then I would look up. Oh, there she is. Okay, follow up, walk. And she was probably happy that I was very occupied because I was not bothering her. Let's go, let's go. So I'm having my, my Bible reading here, and it turned in to a really good devotional time. I, I was kind of blocking out where I was, and I was just focused on God's word, reading, and God was just feeding me from his word about worship. And so, to be honest with you, the, the genesis of the sermon came from Forever 21 on State Street. Who, who would know, you know? And, you know, I don't know if this happens to you, but I'm reading this, it's so good, and I'm like, oh, wow, this preaches, you know? It's like, I'm, I'm going you know, to write a sermon someday about this. So uh, my reflections here, not all of them, but a number of my reflections that I'm going to share with you right now uh, just come from a, a devotional time uh, when I was at Forever 21. 
how do we worship? Uh, discerning with our possessions. So what did I think about as I read Genesis 35 and Jacob and the handling of his possessions? We should get rid of things in our homes, including digital things and cloud things, we could even add today, uh, that are displeasing to God. The question that was impressed upon me was, what does it mean to live a pure life in our culture? What does it mean to live a pure life in our culture? And, of course, uh, different people might discern in different ways about certain things, whether we should get rid of them or not. Okay, That's fine. We may not always agree on everything. However, it is still important for us to ask this question. How is God calling us to be pure with our possessions in this culture? Um, Holiness is one of the most dominant themes in the Bible. Holiness is a cornerstone of who God is. We sang it tonight, holy, holy, Lord God Almighty. And this holiness should intersect with what we possess, not only how we act or think or speak. So um, I did ask the deacons to take a second offering tonight. It's an earring offering to apply the sermon. Okay, we won't do that. Um, How we present ourselves has an effect, and we need to be a Christian witness at all times, and that that even affects what we possess. So... Uh, what does it mean to live a pure life in our culture, even with our possessions? Next, the significance of place and symbol. Now, this is not, I'm not saying this is a biblical command, that you need to make a pilgrimage to somewhere, uh, to a previous point in your life, where maybe you had a profound spiritual experience. However, it at least it's something to think about. I mean, we're people. We're embodied. We occupy space. We're in locations. And uh, I'll give you a for instance. I do not have time to go through the whole story, but, but years ago when I was a, a lonely, borderline kind of depressed single lad, I had a very uh, moving prayer time on a certain bench in Grand Junction, Colorado, It was kind of one of those pouring out my heart to the Lord. And I will tell you, I really sensed God's presence and his grace working in my life through that that particular prayer time at that moment on that bench. And so it was very special for me years later to go back to that bench with my wife. And it wasn't just, oh, let's just sit on this bench, it's a nice view. For me, it was a reminder that God is with me, that God is the God who provides, that no matter what happens in this world, I can trust in the character of God. This all came simply from revisiting 
the bench. Location can be important. I don't know, quite frankly, I just throw that out there, and I don't know how that might uh, apply uh, to your life. Uh, location is important. Across the street, Timothy Christian has an auditorium. A lot of things go on in that auditorium. One of the things that goes on are the chapels that I coordinate. Now, I could pray for the chapels in my office. This would be fine. But I like to go to the auditorium. I like to walk in the space where the students will gather to worship God. And I like to pray in that location, in that space. Think about this space here. There are some of you, for years upon years, I don't know how long, you have faithfully come to this space that you don't call a room. It is a room. You call a sanctuary because it's a special place where people, the people of God, God have gathered. And it's important. And in this space, kind of transitions to the significance of symbol, in this space are very purposeful symbols, right? And sometimes the symbols just kind of blend in and you just get used to them so they don't jump out at you. But consider it, because they're really important. This is here on purpose. It is a symbol of God's grace that you have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus, that you are God's child, and you see that the waters of baptism, what a comfort and blessing they are. Symbol of God's grace, that God feeds us. He continues to feed us, and we need his food. We need Jesus in our lives day after day after day, and we gather as a community. We have communion from this table. And even if there isn't the Lord's Supper, like this evening, it is still here. It is a symbol. The symbol of the authority of God's word in our lives and how God's grace comes to us through his word. And then lastly, I could, we could go on, but lastly, the cross. The cross, a symbol, an instrument of cool death. But God providentially and redemptively has taken it something, a symbol of cruel death, and he has made it a symbol of hope and of life. God has created us as humans. That symbol is significant, and we need to be aware of that. It was in the Old Testament, and it is for us today. And then lastly, honoring the name of God. Honoring the name of God. God reveals his character by revealing his name. We must respect his name and trust his character. We should trust that he will take care of us both now and for all eternity. In the State of the Union address, watch this on TV and the... uh, Sergeant-at-arms, I think, he comes in and he announces to a joint session of Congress, the President of the United States 
of America. And regardless of political affiliation, regardless of what the people in that room think of the president, because of the office of president, they all rise and they all applaud out of respect for the office. How much more should we be called to respect and honor the name of God? And not only, of course, while we're here in this room, certainly we do, but throughout life, wherever we are, to honor the name of El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty. The name represents the person. First Chronicles 7.16, I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name will rest there forever. Obviously, one application of this is to not say God's name in vain. This is one of the Ten Commandments. Another application of this, which I kind of think, is that when we hear God's name in vain, it should bother us. Now, how we react, of course, depends on the context. But whenever I believe we hear God's name in vain, at minimum, something inside of us, this, this is not right. This is not right. If I hear it at school, I will graciously uh, have a conversation with that student and uh, just kind of educate them in this. Um, if, if I hear it out in public, I'm not going to go up to the person and confront them, but in me, no, no. Um, when I uh, had a job in a factory, once I got to know, once I not got to know the guys, I did, I did address it. I, I, I actually said once, I said, this is my God, and that is not his last name. Well, the guy stopped. This, this, is, this is good. Uh, we trust in the character that the name of what the name represents, God Almighty. And when we trust in his character, we do not need to live in fear because he is God Almighty. So how do we, how do we worship? Uh, my point tonight is not to say three easy steps, but it's uh, just to, to reflect on an Old Testament Bible story on how they worshiped God long ago and what we, as the Church of Jesus Christ, the people of God, can learn uh, from their worship. At the end of the service, there is a benediction. Tonight's benediction will be very familiar to you. It is the priestly benediction from Numbers chapter 6. Specifically, it is Numbers 6, verses 24 to 26. Do you know what Numbers 6:27 says? The verse right after the benediction? It says this, So they, the priests, will put my name on the Israel. Amen.